on the air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is a formal naval instructor, recruiter, and recruit division commander. He a drill sergeant. His name is Leon Walker Jr. and he wrote a book called Broken, a memoir about his life growing up in poverty in Cleveland. Uh, after all the struggles he had, he became he went into the Navy. Um, he is a veteran with more than 11 deployments in the Persian Gulf and other areas of conflict throughout the world. He sailed the seas for 15 years on five different naval vessels. He is well-spoken and articulate. He's a prior teacher and a motivational speaker. His love and passion for people from all walks of life, and that is really impressive. Growing up poor in Cleveland, Leon had no choice but to mentally be strong to overcome numerous obstacles. He wrote about them in his book called Broken. It is my honor and my privilege to welcome to the show retired Master Chief Leon Walker, Jr. Leon, welcome to Authors on the Air, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Pam. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's going to be a great time. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, I, I could not have you on when your publicist sent me your book, and I read about all the things you overcame in your childhood. It was a very dark and very dangerous time for you growing up in Cleveland. Um, will you share a little bit about your childhood, and and then let's go on to talk about where you came out at the end of that childhood. Okay, my childhood was, um, as you know, in the book, I was molested, um, raped, uh, fondled by a male member of my family. The other incidents happened by the, were done to me by the um, females, females of my family, to my cousins and my babysitter. Of course, she wasn't my mm-hmm. family, but she was close. Um, and so that started me in a deep, dark, downward spiral. It started in five, at five years old, so I was... My uh, my innocence was taken from me, so I never really had a chance at a decent life as far as when it comes to physical, being physical or not, uh, morals. My family gave me great great morals. My parents both did, but that was taken from me, and my foundation was broke. My parents got divorced when I was 11. Um, we lost the house when I was 11. I was homeless. Um, I had been had addictions to porn at 8, 9 years old. I started smoking cigarettes uh, in the sixth grade. I was dealing with a lot of pressure. I was dealing with a lot of stress, stress that you see in most adults. And it just, it just, it just kind of like took over my soul and took over my spirit. So I was spiraling out of control for many, 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 many years. Now, the way that I came out of that, I had this innate ability to separate myself from my own body and visualize myself on the floor, crying, my head down, my shoulders down in a puddle of urine, just being defeated. And I would always feel that little boy's emotions. I would feel his, his, his pain, his suffering. And that's, what that, that's how I started coming out of it because I want, did not want to go back to being that little boy. 
And so in yeah. my mother's basement with my friend, you know, I started playing with army men. So I knew then if mm-hmm. I could get these army men to kind of like perform the way I wanted to perform and to perform, uh, we had little, I had little wars going on. I had little, I was like dic- a little dictator, a little leader, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was leading them and I was communicating. So I said, you know what, I can do this thing because I had great, I had great support, a great support system. Of course, it was broken, but I had um, great uh, examples as far as the military is concerned. My father, my uncles, and my brother, my uncles and father were in the army. My brothers in the marine. So this is how I was able to figure out something I want to do in life, and I latched onto it. I knew that I would be in the military by the time I was 18. So at nine years old, going through these things as a child, being broken, I prepared myself for the military by playing with the army men, by leading, by communicating, and then I started doing a bunch of exercises, and I saw my body start to my body start to grow from the push-ups and sit-ups. So I had a I had that mindset at nine years old. Although I was broken and dysfunctional, I still had a mindset on doing something positive with my life. So that's what carried me through. Wow, it's really impressive that you knew that you were broken and that you had to find a way out at such a young age because, you know, going through that uh, sometimes takes a lifetime to overcome. And I'm I'm right. fascinated by the fact that your family were also members of the military, and um, you had, even though these very humble beginnings and a very difficult time, even homelessness, um, that that you were called to serve the country. And for that, I want to say thank you um, to you and to your family members who served. Um, It is a righteous and noble way to spend your life. Um, I think that's why I I was so impressed with you when your um, publicist got in touch with me. And I said, gee, I really want to talk to Chief Walker, Master Chief Walker, about you know, your life in the Navy and what you learned and took away from that. Will you share a little bit about your experiences? Because you I will. you were really in the deep, heavy-duty part of it. For 32 years, you had 11 um, deployments. This, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, I had a lot, fam. And my thing was, like I said, I was mentally prepared for the military at nine. I had nine years to get myself together. And I, I didn't I kinda knew where I was going, but I was like I didn't know that, that, that I was really preparing myself. I was just having fun and getting myself together mentally and physically. And I was growing. But the military held me to a higher standard. The military made me dig into myself, into my soul to figure out if what I really wanted to do. But I had to you had to show up, you had to work every day. I was eighteen years old and I was amongst men that were 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years old that had already been in the Navy 10, 15 years. So you have to grow up fast in the military. You really have no choice. You know, you're, you're, you're protecting this country. You're working for the government. So you grow up pretty quick. And so they put me in leadership roles when I was 18 years old. By the time I was 19, I was leading men that were 38. Uh, they had been in, I was leading a group of men that were like, it was a group of like 30, 39 mm. men that I was leading just based on, my ability, my work ethic, which I received that from my mother because I was I had a job at eight years old and my mother she worked at a bar. My mother was a bartender. My father worked at Ford Motor Company. So my work ethic was instilled in me by virtue of uh, DNA, if you would, if you will. And so going to the military, it wasn't tough. Boot camp started it out, and they put me in leadership roles in boot camp, and I always had low scores. To get into the military, you have to take a test called the ASVAB, Armed Service Vocational Aptitude and Battery. I failed that test four times. I got a, a score of six, 11, a 19, and a 30. Now, on the fifth time I took it, I had one more chance to get into the military, and I was so determined and driven to pass this test. All I did was apply myself. I always thought I was dumb and stupid. I was called slow. I was called dense. 
And it affected me until I had until my back was up against the wall and I had to do something. So I studied, I studied, and I finally passed the exam by one point. The minimum you can get into them, you need to get into the military is a 31. The max is a 30, is a 99. So my minimum took me to my maximum. I became a leader. I became a drill sergeant. Uh, we call him the recruit division commander in the Navy. I became an mm-hmm. instructor, and I became a recruiter. So um, I tapped into my potential, and I, 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 I took me to newer heights of, of learning. It took me to newer heights of, of leadership, and it took me extremely to newer heights of, um, of um, growth and development. So uh, the, the Navy really opened me up. Who were some of your mentors, Leon? I had quite a few. First, you know, in the book I talk about a guy named Chaz. His name was is a different name, but Chaz moved in when my father moved out and when my parents got divorced. Chaz was my first mentor, aside from my parents. Don't get me wrong, my parents were great people. But Chaz, he was a gay man, and, and he talked to me about life. And because of him, and only because of him, was I able to get myself together and build my confidence to make it through the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. But Chaz was my first mentor. Um, aside from that, I had I started my relationship with God at eight or nine years old. And I talk about this in my second book called One Point that's throughout this fall, that I saw God. Now, all these people have these pictures of God where, you know, brown hair, brown skin, blue eyes, pale skin, whatever the case may be. I know what I saw. I didn't see a face. I saw eyes. So, in, in a way, God was my first mentor, and then Chaz, and, uh, you know, throughout life and, and, and on into military, I had a lot of senior leaders that were my my, my mentors, uh, you know, uh, Tony Driver, April Beldo, Al McHugh. There were quite a few um, that had, had took me by the hand and said, hey, young man, this is what you need to do. And I listened. I listened because I, want, I had respect for them. Tell me what it's like to be deployed in a war zone. Because you had some pretty humbling experiences and very scary ones, too, particularly when a lot of your sailors were killed. Yeah, being deployed is rough, uh, Pam. Uh, Deployments are six months. The longest I spent out to sea without even pulling into a port was 83 days. And at that time, we were in the Persian Gulf. It was 120 degrees, 120, 130 degrees every single day and we're we're in the middle east a country that does not really care for us uh and they don't really care for their own lives as you know they they they, they take their own lives trying to kill us so being being deployed uh and back in the 80s and 90s being deployed was even harder because we didn't have text messages we didn't have email we started getting emails later on in the 90s so we had to rely on the old school way of communicating with family back home which was writing a letter and by the time you got a letter out, by the time your family got it, or by the time you got that letter, if somebody died, the funeral was over with, and they'd been buried for two, three weeks, or they'd been married for two, three weeks, or they graduated high school or college two, three, two, three weeks ago or a month ago. So it's rough. The food is not always good. It's always not. The seas are rough. You know, you're dealing with people that have bad attitudes. You're dealing with people that are getting bad, bad news from home, a parent dying, or brother, sister dying, or child dying. You get all that, but you just have to just remain strong. And, and hang in there and, and make try your best to make it through the six months. And some people don't make it through the six months. And on the USS Stark, you can Google the USS Stark, you see a picture of it. Uh, and as you see the ship sinking, I'm on that ship when it's sinking and smoking. We went on there to, to fight the fire, but by that time, the, 36, the 37 men had been murdered already, killed. And I had to carry bodies. I had to pick up feet, hands, fingers, faces, heads. It was mm. horrible. I was 21 years old, and that's when my PTSD developed. 
Good grief. What a horrible thing to have to go through. Um, why did you decide to make the military your career rather than doing your, your you know, first round and, you know, you reenlisted over and over again? Yeah, I did. So what happened was education wasn't talked about in my family. Uh, in fact, my mother and father both dropped out of high school mm. in 10th grade, so it was either go to the military or stay in Cleveland and sell drugs. I didn't want to sell drugs to destroy family. So my thing was I go to the military and, you know, I make a life myself. And I knew the lineage in my family. They were all Army and one Marine, which is my brother. Um, I had to uh, represent for my family. And Cleveland, coming from Cleveland, I love Cleveland. Cleveland is a very, very patriotic town. So my mm-hmm. thing was not only am I representing my family but make my family proud, but I wanted to make Cleveland proud, you know. And so – I did get out after my four after my four years. I got out and came back home because I missed home, but I went back in like seventy two days later. So I love the military. Wow. The military gave me a it, it gave me a way of life. It gave me a, a an identity. It gave me confidence. It gave it built my self esteem. It put me in positions to be the person I am today, to be, you know, a leader, a father, a husband. And so it gave me a lot. It took me around the world. I met great people. I was able to delve into great cultures. Uh, I increased my vocabulary by being around smart people. And so it was a way of life that I, I fell in love with. That's why I stayed in, Pam. Um, You have this book called Broken a Memoir, but you also are in the process of writing uh, six other books. Um, you write poetry. You do a lot of motivational speaking. Um, are Do you enjoy that? Does that bring you pleasure to and contentment? To be speaking to others. It does, Pam. What happened was I never wanted to write a book. I never wanted. I never liked writing. I hated writing. Only time I liked writing was when I was writing evaluations for my sailors to help them get promoted. Uh, a young friend, a young man, a friend of mine named George Moore, one day in 2016, asked me about my life. And as I started talking, I got three minutes into it. And he said, "Well, he said some powerful words to me. And remember, this words are very powerful. Yes, uh, they, they make are. you go up or down. They make you go up Absolutely. or down. So he said." seven words. He said, well, after me speaking to him for three minutes, he was blown away. And I said, man, that's just up until the third grade. So we continued talking. Then he just said, why don't you just write a book? And Pam, that's what struck me so hard. That's when it hit me in 2016, June 6th. I'll never forget the day. I started writing and I wrote for 65 days straight. And I, at the wow. end of those 65 days, I had 1,000 pages of my life. And I could not believe it. And the more I wrote the more liberated I became, the more lighter I felt, uh, the more open I felt, the more transparent I became. And the more transparent I became, I became happier about telling my story in an effort to help other young men and even older adults get through their trials and tribulations. So I enjoy writing now, not just to write, but to help people and tell stories and inspire people. That's what I love to do. I love to inspire people. You know, um, as I'm a, a victim advocate and have been for many, 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 many years. And one of the things, and, and most people who do advocate work like you come out of their own trauma and realize that they want to help others. And so one of the things I used to tell, because I work with domestic violence victims, and um, I would say, you know, journal or write it down, just somehow get it out there. Because a lot of people as adults, have not faced the traumas that happened to them as young people. Uh, so, you know, that probably was a great way for you to heal as well. Do you think, Leon? 
Yeah, it's a great way. Well, it's a great way for you to heal by talking and getting out journaling, of course. Yes. Because not only do you think it, Pam, you live it, but when you write yes. it, you see it. You see it. You're and looking at um, I was raped on at, on April 5th of 2004. I was bullied uh, March 15th of 1998. When you look at right, it's like, wow, you know, you get it out, and it's like you're being honest with yourself. I was honest with myself, and when I started feeling myself grow, I said, you know what, I need to be honest with these other people and help these people grow because people are in pain. People are hurting. Yes. There's no need to be embarrassed yes. about something that happened to you because people become, they think they, be, they become a victim and they like, they live that victim life and it's just exactly. inside of you. I had to get it exactly. out. Tell me what it was like being a black kid in Cleveland way back when. Well, being a, you know what, Pam, I'll be honest with you. I had, we had it great. Being a black kid. I'm glad. And I like to tell this part of the story because a lot of African-Americans now think that black don't like to do certain things. They don't think that we like to do things that white people like to do. It's just stereotypical and they're wrong. We were mm-hmm. we had black families that skied in the seventies. We had black families that uh that that um that swam. We swam. We had the YMCA that we used. We played tennis, mm-hmm. we played ping pong. These are all the sports and things that black family events that most blacks think that only whites do, but that's not true. You know, we had a we had an ice skating ring. I I was ice skating skating at eight or nine years old. I can't ice skate. I tried. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. We no, had, really yeah, you can do it. And we, you know, we, you look at ballerinas and some of them are white, most are white, maybe some Asian, but we had little girls that were ballerinas. We had African-Americans that were deep and heavy into the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts. We had those things, but when, when the crack epidemic hit in the 80s, it destroyed a lot of inner cities, not just black, but white, Puerto Ricans, Mexican yes, too, and is. Asians. Right. So I agree. You know, it, 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 yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't discriminate. Drugs won't discriminate. But growing up in Cleveland, I was thankful enough to have great mentors, great guidance, great direction. He had that, and that was my basic foundation. And that's the basic foundation anybody needs in life. If you get that basic foundation, you go, you can go far. And that's how I was able to go far because I was able to go back and think about those things. Yeah, it seemed like with all your childhood trauma, you had a good foundation. And um, once you, you know, you pulled it out of you and you threw it on the table on a piece of paper, you know, it's kind of like out, out, damn spot. It's out. It's out there. And it can't, it can't hurt you anymore once you've acknowledged what's happened and you've recognized that you are indeed not only a survivor, but a thriver. And it seems like that's what you did. Um, did you like being in leadership when you were in the Navy? Damn, I love being in leadership in, in the Navy because you know what? Most leaders, they just lead based on what the company's policy is, what the procedures are, and what the company's expected. I led mm-hmm. based on knowing my people, what they like, what they don't like, what makes them move, what makes them happy, even what makes them unhappy because I want to avoid that. And I want to get right. back to these kids because I've seen the same kids that were just like me they were their head was down. They were defeated. They didn't have any. They had low self esteem. So as a leader, my thing was to build people up. I wanted right. I wanted people to come to work, and just like when they, when you know at the end of the day when you're so ready to go home, I wanted people to be in the morning, be ready to come to work because they can rely on me to get them through the day. That was a heavy burden to take on, but I I knew that I could do it because I started leading at eight nine years old. Even though they were army men and they weren't talking back to me. But I knew I had the ability to lead people in the right direction. 
Leon, you're a relatively young man still, and um, what are you happy to be retired? And are you, what are you doing now? I know you do a lot of public speaking. You do a lot of motivational speaking. What is on your agenda these days? Well, now what's on my agenda, Pam, is uh, first I was a teacher for two years, and that's when I was looking at the the, the school system. I'm like, these kids are still hurting. And so mm-hmm. teaching, you have to go through, you know, of course, you go to work and you get through the curriculum, but at, at the end of the day, you're trained, and so are the kids, but they still want to talk. And I said, I can't give these kids much time if I'm spending eight eight hours in school. So I said, you know what? I started writing a book, and I started seeing myself, seeing myself grow, and I started seeing myself, you know, I was, of course, I was reliving the pain, but I was relieving mm-hmm. the pain as well. Yes, so you were. I said, you know what? Let me, let me, let me talk to people and let me go into something that I, I, I love teaching. Don't get me wrong. I love teaching. But I really love inspiring. I really love pushing people to the next level and pushing their limits and watching them grow and letting them know, hey, I was broke just like you, if maybe even more broken than you, but I can be successful. So I like to give people my message. I like to give people my heart and, and, and my lifestyle. I like to give people my spirit so they can feel it because everybody deserves a great chance in life to get to, to fulfill their full potential. Some people never get to that point. So now I enjoy speaking and traveling and talking to people, not just promote my book. If I sell one book, man, it's okay, but you can't stop me from traveling the world, talking to millions of people. I have a message that I want to give these people, and I'm going to deliver. Do you um, do you focus on inner city youth when you're talking and inner city families, or, or are you spreading a message wider than that, Leon? That's a great question, Pam. I don't focus, and I tell people, don't. Don't put me just in the inner city schools. I want to go to the suburban right. schools. I want to go to the rich, rich white kids' school because they have issues too. Those kids may be given a lot of money at an early age, given a car in the ninth grade, a house, and by the time they're a senior, they get the college paid for. They want love, and they want to know that they want to know how to love because a lot of I'm not taking anything from rich parents. I'm just saying that a lot of rich parents really don't have a lot of time to give in, give back to yes. the kids that they what the kids need, you know? True. And so these kids go through life, they never see a struggle, but then when they struggle, guess what? They either they look to drugs or they commit suicide. So I don't sure. see it in the city. You put me in the rich neighborhoods, you put me in the middle class neighborhoods. I've been all around. I mean, that's only fair for me to do that. I can't just stick to the inner city kids. You have white families that are poor too. You have white families that are on drugs. You have white families that go through divorce and Asian families too. Yep, you know, of course they do. do the same thing. So I would be selfish just say, you know, keep me with the black kids. That's not fair. And that's not the way God wanted it wanted it to be. I didn't ask to be a speaker. I didn't ask to have this knowledge. I didn't ask to have the ability to talk to people. This was given to me. It's a gift. So well, I would be wrong. It would be taken away from me if I stuck to one race. I guarantee you that. Well, I'm I'm glad that you said that because the fact of the matter is, um, rape, molestation, you know, homelessness, hunger, uh, divorce, all of those things happen across the board. People do not realize that this is not just an inner city or a black problem or a Hispanic problem or anything else. It is not. It happens for the the upper echelon in it, the elites in society all the way down and, and back and forth across cultural lines as well. So that I think That's right. because you have such an outstanding history in the Navy and it's so it's not it's a selfless philosophy that you're presenting um, yes wow. there's a lot of it is healing yourself but you are reaching out and saying okay lean on me and let's talk about this and let's see what we can do to make it better for you 
here's how it worked for me. How's it going to work for you? Um, do you speak to mostly children, or do you speak to all ages of audience, Leon? Sam, I speak to everybody because, like you just said, um, being molested, raped, uh, hunger, homelessness, low self-esteem, no confidence affects everybody. You know, I'll tell you, do I have time to tell you a quick story? It's about two minutes. Sure. Uh, it's your, and, and this it's your is show. Why, okay, and this is why not only this, but I, I, I love talking to anybody. I don't stop at a certain age. Now, my book, I was selling my book on a naval base uh, back in 2017, and a lady had bought my book, an elderly, elderly lady. She was about 60 years old, and she said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. She worked at the store that I was selling my books at, and she said, after being married for 50 years, I finally found out why my husband eats alone. And she said it's because he has mommy issues. And I call it mommy issues. I'll talk about that because his mother abandoned him. His mother never ate with him. And so that's what he saw. That was his, he was a product of his environment, but he never got help. Sure. And then he got married to the lady that I was talking to. She said, my husband never eats with me. He never holds my hand. And we've been married for 50 years. And I said it's because of what his mother did not do to or for him. So I talked to everyone, Pam. My message is Good for, for you. everyone. And I went to, I had a, I did a speaking engagement about two months ago at the VFW, Veterans of Foreign War, and they were, average age was 75 years old. And they were like, yeah. wow, they, a lot of things that I was talking to them about was things that they had never dealt with as children. And they carried it on into their, and they're 75 years old, and they're still doing the same thing. And then one guy said, you know what? Because I'll listen to you tonight, I'm just going to start walking. I said, yeah, you can get up and walk because the doctor tells you you're too old or you can't walk or you got brittle bones. Don't believe that. I had a heart attack, man. And they told me that yeah. I, I shouldn't run. Just keep walking in therapy, and I started running. So, yeah, I talk to everybody to answer your question. I don't limit it at an age because I'm glad I can't because it's interesting that you're talking about that age group, that demographic of 75 years old, because that is the group least likely to start talking. It was always, you know, what goes on in the house stays in the house. You don't talk business right. to anybody else, you know. Um, right. So, so I, I remember that from my parents' generation when they were alive. And um, uh, so that, you know, you just don't talk outside the family. And, and the fact of the matter is that's, that's very right. stifling and it, it screws you up. You are a screwed up kid who turns into a screwed up teenager, t- turns into a screwed up adult. And unless they get, religion and i'm talking about the leon walker kind of religion and someone talks to them and says you know look it doesn't have to be like that you have alternatives here's the way your life can be you know most people don't have a leon walker jr in their life so thank you for that i'm 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 now you are you were back in cleveland this evening you are going to be doing another engagement tonight um are you doing are you on book tour right now leon yeah, I have. Um, I'm doing a book signing June 2nd at Loganberry Bookstore in Shaker Heights in Cleveland, Ohio, from one to three. Uh, my book tour is going to go until this month and probably next month. It's going to go throughout. Right now, my publishers, you know, when you have a publisher, they give you a certain time to do a book tour. But that, right, based on what I paid her, when it stops, the contract ends. That doesn't mean that my book tour ends. I can do my own book right. tour. I just have to have the ability to connect with. TV shows, uh, people like you, Pam, or, you know, authors on, you know, <clears throat> on the air, uh, new um, high schools, uh, boys and girls clubs. So, no, my book tour, this is now, it goes back to what you asked me before, what am I doing now? I'm doing, right. I took off the next one, one or two years, maybe three, maybe the rest of my life. This is probably what, this is what I'm going to do, but I don't think I'll ever go back to work. I plan on doing yeah. it. Yeah. 
A book tour I'm won't so stop glad. at all. It's not going to stop. And that's a great question. I'm so glad. Leon, tell everyone, you have a brand new website um, that you just lit up today. It is called iinspire1one.com. Um, it it yes. gives a, a, a brief overview of Leon's military career. If you want to um, find out more, I would suggest you go on Amazon, on his Amazon book page. There's a quite a lengthy military career going on there. And um, I have to say, Leon, it's just such a pleasure and an honor to speak to you. Um, are you on Facebook also? I know because we're Facebook friends. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you do any other social media? I'm on Instagram as Leon R. Walker. Uh, you, of course, you can Google me. Um, I'm not on Twitter yet. I'm working on that. Like you said, my my, my web page just went live today. But yes, um, Facebook Leon R. Walker, Instagram Leon R. Walker, uh, and that's where you can find me. Yeah, that's right, Pam. There you go, I, Leon. I I cannot thank you enough for spending time with me, folks. The book is called Broken: A Memoir. It is available in retailers, online retailers, and from. Leon's webpage, iinspire1.com. Um, I hope you'll come back again when you put out your next book. I will, I'd love to. I'd love I to will. talk to you even more and just, you know, hear some of the testimonials of people that you've worked with. Um, thank you so much for your service, Leon Walker, um, former Naval Chief. It's let's see, it's Command Master Chief Leon Walker Jr. Yeah. Thank you, Leon. Thank you for having me, Pam. We can stay it's in touch been, too. It's, uh, we always. will. We will. Thank you so much for being right. with me. I also want to thank um, Lucy Dunn, who is a naval mom. Lucy, you're on live right now. Um, thank you to your son for his service, and I'm glad that you were here to meet me on as well. Oh, thank, thank you, Thank you, Lucy, for allowing your son to serve. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. All right, thanks so much. Y'all have a great weekend, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.